0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: You know who feeds the dogs every single morning?
0: Me, Lauren, me. And you just try to remind me like, hey, do you remember which one the wet food is? And I said, of course I do, because I'm the one that feeds the dogs every single morning. I'm like a sous chef in there.
1: But you know who picked the food, Michael? Me. And I picked the farmer's dog. And the reason I picked it is because it's real food, okay? I want to give my dog the best food possible. And this one, the one we like, has whole meat and veggies. And it's gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value.
0: What I love about this is you give them some assortment. You give them better food. It's natural. It's stuff that you could feed yourself. And why would you not want to do that for the thing you love most, your pet?
1: And what's cute is they personalize it for you. So you get this delivery and it says their name on it, which is really cute. All the recipes are vet developed for as little as $2 a day too. So it's cost efficient. And then they have pre-portioned meals. So they arrive ready to serve and it's conveniently delivered to your door on your schedule, convenient and fresh, which we love. Dog people across the country have ordered millions of meals from the farmer's dog. It's never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Of course, we have a code for you and it's an incredible code. You get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash skinny. Plus you get free shipping. Just go to thefarmersdog.com slash skinny to get 50% off. That's thefarmersdog.com slash skinny. Go to thefarmersdog.com slash skinny to get 50% off your first box plus free shipping.
2: I had a terrible, terrible year. I owed $76,000. And so I didn't possibly know how I was going to make ends meet. It was a terrible real estate market. And I thought of an idea to sell 88 apartments that I was asked to sell. You know, they were horrible units. And the morning I woke up, I had 88 apartments. I had probably 140 people in line and I made over a million dollars. I paid back the money I owed. I opened a new office. That's when my competitors really stood up and noticed because I got so much publicity on this sale. I was just trying to survive, you know? If it hadn't worked, what was lost? Nobody showed up the next morning. Okay, what do we do today? Throwing stuff out, that's the beauty of being small. You can outcreate the guy with the big money. Young people today even have a larger opportunity because of social media being for free if you're creative enough.
0: Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show. There are sharks in the water on this episode, specifically Barbara Corcoran from the world famous Shark Tank. And we are diving into all sorts of things today. Career advice for people in their 20s, the common denominator of all successful people, how bullying helps shape her mindset, how it can help shape yours as well. Also, we get into her business and how it took off. We cover so much ground here. For those of you that are tuning in just this week, I also will remind everybody that we now have a YouTube channel. You can tune in every Tuesday and Friday for the full visual episode. If you're more of a visual person, all current episodes and new episodes will be there. And we'll also start loading up some of the most popular old archive episodes. So be sure to check that out. If you just search the Skinny Confidential on YouTube, it'll pop up. Or if you just want to stick with the audio, here we are already.
1: I think everyone who's listening is going to find this episode very valuable. It's very on brand for us. So on that note, let's welcome Shark Tank's Barbara to the Skinny Confidential Him and Her Show.
0: This is the Skinny Confidential Him and Her. Barbara in the studio, welcome. Thank you. We tried to think about different directions we could take. We could take this in so many directions with you. But I think what we think about with you is somebody who's had such a diverse career background, mm. and you've done so many different things, there's a lot of listeners, young listeners, that are trying to figure out where they start. And I think s- some good advice, but also poor at the same time is everybody says, hey, just chase your passion. And young nah, people are just supposed that to that expression. Yeah, same. Because yeah. I think, at least in my case, it took a very long time to figure out, you know, what kind of path, and I'm still figuring out it. So I think it's difficult when young people get that advice and they haven't tasted a few things. I was reading you had some kind of 20 plus jobs before you even figured yeah. out what you want to do. So maybe starting there and kind of talking about how you came up and and how you thought about your career from a young age.
2: I think when I was starting my career, I had the good fortune of having 22 jobs before I started my business, and boy, did that help me with building my business. But trying to find yourself is such a challenge. When you're young, how do you know what you're good at? And today, people don't like to jump jobs and try a million things. That's how you find out how you're good at whatever. I got lucky, honestly, because I discovered in my 22 jobs that I was great with people. I couldn't read well. I couldn't write well. I couldn't figure anything out well. But boy, could I charm people. And that got me the biggest tips as a waitress. The job interviews I went for, I always got because I charmed the guy who's hiring me. And I charmed my way in and out of the jobs as I went along the way. But I think finding your passion is the wrong way to go because you don't know what it is. I think finding one thing you're good at. And what I found through my jobs that I was good at was I was good with people. And what I found I was good at the day I started my job, I was good with people. So I hired all the right people. I motivated them. I charmed the people to stay, charmed the people to come. And I built a career on that one talent. So you really only need one thing.
1: How would you apply the charm that you had today if you were 21?
2: I would watch people's reaction to me. I would ask all of my friends or even acquaintances, what's good about me? Because sometimes you don't see yourself, you're so hard on yourself. And then I would try to find some kind of a career that tapped into those values or those talents
1: with social media, would you use social media? If you could look back and be 21 right now, would you Mm. use TikTok? Would you use Instagram? What medium do you think you would gravitate? Are
2: you kidding? I would use anything I could get my hands on. I mean, social media has all the turns and twists for each platform, but it's really all the same river. You know, you're trying to get attention and trying to be of interest and trying to make a difference. But no social media. If I had social media, I think I could have been the president of the United States. That's what I think. Only kidding. <laughs> I, 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 I believe
1: it. I think that sometimes there, it feels like there's a lack of resourcefulness when there, we have so many things to go off of now. When you look at the younger generation, is, what, what would you tell them? If you could tell them they want to start a business?
2: I would tell them, Lauren, it's the very best time. It's the best time to start a business because the world is open to anything new. And then it's a level playing field now. Anyone on social media is equally rich. You could build your brand, build your business on social media. You don't pay any more than the next guy. It doesn't favor the mega mouth or the Well, it does favor the mega mouth, but not the mega wallet. It's a level playing ground. You could create anything using social media today. It is the best thing that's happened to the computer age. Best thing to happen to young people, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, I even think about this show. And if we would have tried to do this, call it 20 years ago, there would have been a lot of gatekeepers, right? It probably wouldn't been some kind of radio station and an executive. And they would have yes. said, maybe you can do it. Maybe you can't. We don't have the airwaves or we do. When we started this, we literally set up the stuff in our living room from our house. Absolutely. And had one person just kind of sitting there editing. I think it was like maybe 300 bucks in equipment. Mm. Granted, it didn't sound great. And we were a mess and didn't know what we were doing. But. The barrier to entry was basically nothing, and since then, it's obviously when we're sitting with you and we've done this, you know, mm-hmm. six or seven hundred times.
2: Well, you had the luxury, Michael, of creating as you went. I yes. mean, that's everybody's got that luxury today. Just do a little of this, a little of that, throw it all on the wall and see what sticks. You know, but if you were creating your business twenty years ago, you would need a lot more buying power to do those same experiments, rent a billboard, put a page in the newspaper. You know, very expensive to build a brand, but not today.
1: What were some gatekeepers that you experienced when you were on Shark Tank was or maybe there wasn't any?
2: Oh, we have a million bosses on Shark Tank.
1: How how do you get through all that and and sort of navigate that before you're on? You've been on 11 seasons.
2: Yeah. You know what you do? You perform well and hope they don't fire you. If you think people in the entertainment business are working for themselves ah, in lip service, you are. But you know, good a season. You're not invited back the next season. That's how it goes. We've got gatekeepers. It's owned by three different large companies. Everybody weighs in. I get more opinions on what outfit I shouldn't wear than
1: what outfits I should wear. I'm
2: like, what?
1: What do they of tell course. you to wear and what do they tell you not to wear?
2: Well, you know, if too much leg is showing, it's not a good thing. But mm-hmm. I've learned how to pose in the outfit and get the approval before I show the leg, you know? Okay. Certain patterns they're afraid of because it's no good for the camera. Most of it's legitimate, but they want a certain image. And if you think about it, you're moving part as a talent, as part of the set, in a way that the furniture is. You know, if you're going to be navy blue on this sofa, you're going to fade away. They're not going to like that. So it makes sense. If I was a producer, I'd be the same way. If you were
1: to go in business with any of the sharks, which one would you pick?
2: Oh, Mark. He's got the most money. (laughs) 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 And also, in my opinion, he's... The most handsome. I don't know. If, I don't know if the money's influencing me, perhaps, but I think he's handsome independently of his wallet. But he's the most loyal husband and great father. Uh, and his wife wouldn't tolerate anything. <laughs> no, Mark, it would be a safe bet. He could be my partner, even though I dream about marrying him every day. <laughs> so Kevin's not it. Kevin. Ah, High maintenance. (laughs) I think I'd be lower maintenance than Kevin O'Leary any day of the week.
1: (laughs) You deal with so much successful people, so many successful people. What is the common denominator between all these people that you see? Is it their morning routine? Is it the way they set up their day? What are little tactics that you see across the board?
2: Well, everybody's got their own tactics, but they're all going to the same place, okay, which is where they want to go. The most common ground of everyone successful, I've seen the majority being self-made you know, not that you can't do it other ways, is they have ambition. Ambition, you know, it's kind of like an old-fashioned word, but I'm talking about the kind of ambition that just people like have to get to where they're going. There's going to be no excuse not to get there. It burns. It just burns in them. That has been what's caused the people who get ahead to work twice as hard as the next guy, to never give up, to keep plugging away, to not hear no, because they want to have, Well, they have to get to the finish line. It's not want to. They have to. Do you
0: think that's something you're born with or something you can learn?
2: I think part of it is you learn. For me, I learned it by being the dumb kid in class and being insulted my whole life. So I'm getting even, basically. (laughs) Like, you think I was dumb? I'll show you who I'm not dumb, you know, because I had that disability. But other entrepreneurs I've invested in that have been wildly successful have been... uh, People have grown up with a drunk dad, a single mom known poverty, struggle, they've never had a vacation, they were a breadwinner before they were ready. I mean, all these hardships that people encounter at young ages are always a great formula for succeeding in life if they don't feel sorry for themselves.
0: I want to talk about that a little bit. (laughs) That's the
2: dividing line, truly. Can,
0: can you go more into that? Because I think we, we've talked about it and basically I, I think that there's a lot of you know victim mentality right now and for whatever time, maybe because... I'm sorry,
2: what mentality? Victim
0: mentality, right? Oh, I think yes. a lot of it is maybe because of the way we engage on a lot of these platforms. Communication is so fast and you maybe find communities that are willing to kind of wallow in pain with you, right? Where yeah. before maybe you kind of feel a little... Get a
2: better audience today. Yes, yeah. right?
0: Like, and, and I And listen, I don't want to say there aren't victims because there are, mm. but what I always say to people is, it's much easier to find sympathy now. And when you find that sympathy, it validates your feeling. And then the problem is, is then it's hard to get out of that feeling because you yes. have a group that's saying, oh, it's okay to, to be like that and to feel like that. So yeah. maybe just talking through this a little bit more and what you see, you know, mm-hmm. being the detriments to that kind well, of thought. Well, you said
2: it very well, especially in one regard. There's a large audience to join your pity party, mm-hmm. right? So you get away with it a little better. But you don't get away with it in life because people who feel sorry for themselves don't move ahead. It's just they've put themselves in slow motion, basically, if motion at all. So I believe that everyone I've seen very successful and it doesn't have to be in business or in a money sense, but in a social sense or whatever cause causes, they really have taken the same hits. Everybody else has. That's what life is. It's a bunch of hits, bunch of obstacles to get through. But when they take the hit, they feel it like everybody else but they don't take much time for feeling sorry for themselves. They're kind of like a Jack in the box, hit me on the head and they should stay low. No, but they pop out of the box. They hit me again. That's probably a low IQ of some sort, but it's the, the ability to get, keep getting back up and taking a hit, taking a hit. And it's about just not allowing yourself the liberty and wrong luxury of feeling sorry for yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think especially like we all say, like in a career and business and a job, like there's no such thing as undefeated. Like, at least in my life and Lauren's, like, it's been a bunch of little failures along the way constantly and then you know getting back up and refining. But there's never been like, hey, that's a perfect track record. There's so many things that we've done that have been quote unquote mistakes, but I don't consider them failures because it, mm. we don't quit, right? You just keep going. I think Only pe- because you didn't
2: quit. Yes. Is why you see them in a bright light. <laughs> yes. But if you get hit with stuff that you don't recover from, it stays with you forever and it's not a bright light because you never move forward but you've discovered the need or maybe just the habit of constantly trying. And, you know, um, I, I'm always amazed at how many parents ask me or tell me about the son or the daughter who kind of hasn't come out of the gate yet. If only they could find their right thing, their right passion back to that again. Mm-hmm. And I really believe uh, the people that succeed don't necessarily have a passion or even discover what they're so good at, but they form a habit of trying. And when you're in the habit of trying, that's what confidence is. You know, hey, once well, the shit's going to hit the fan, but I know I'm going to try harder than the next guy. And in the trying harder than the next guy, you always succeed a little better than the next guy. It's just numbers at that game. It's so important what you speak to. The most important thing. It's but like it's dating. It's so boring to listen to, isn't it? No, but it's it's <laughs> like dating.
0: I mean, I always you see these guys and on paper, maybe they don't I look like- I thought you were married to her. Uh, yeah, I am.
2: You're actually going to be am, talking I'm, about I'm, I'm, dating? I'm going to be flirting with you a little one. bit. You're no, out no, of no, your no, mind. What, what I do, Stop. It's, it's a
0: safe space to come it's and bring I, I, give him a kick yeah, yeah 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 I come I bring I bring women like yourself I flirt with them a little and I watch and see and if are flirting like, with me he can I, flirt with you yeah, we'll yeah I'm a
2: little old that's uh. right well listen you know this that. is a cheap thrill for me today keep it <laughs> keep, it coming, okay, keep let's it coming keep it coming but I always oh, you see these you guys do you want me to leave the room I have yes lo- I do
0: I have a lot of friends like you'll see this guy on paper super tall guy good looking but very shy and won't ever like kind of go up to women you see another guy or maybe on paper he doesn't look like the 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 Casanova, but he's yes. willing to go and ask the women over and over and over, and yeah. like take all the at bats. And it, it to your point, it becomes a numbers game. And then there's that confidence that I think is attractive to both yes. sexes, right? Where it's like, you know, take coming out of your shell a little bit and just like being somebody yeah. that's willing to to receive a no and keep going.
2: Yeah. Well, it's hard to get a no from a girl and walk back to your seat, isn't it? It's, it's, it's easy to think about it. But you know what? I have noticed that when I've been with with a room of very beautiful girls and I'm older, so I'm just observing, I notice the prettiest girl doesn't get hit on. It's the second prettiest. So if the loser kind of guy, not so attractive guy goes up to the prettiest girl, he's got a better shot than he has at the second prettiest girl. (laughs)
1: You heard it here first guys. Take notes.
2: Yeah. Ask that pretty girl to dance.
1: I would love to go back to your childhood. You mentioned it a little bit. You Mm -hmm. said that you, you felt stupid, which is like shocking to me when you were young. Can you elaborate on that?
2: Yeah. You know, school is a weird kind of a place for most of us. It's a great place you learn to learn. Okay. But if you have a learning difference and there's probably one in 10 kids that have that, so it's not uncommon, You learn differently, but you don't learn in the school system. You can't understand digits. You can't understand numbers, letters. Letters don't add up unless you could visualize. Like I always learn the word dog really fast because I pictured a dog. But how do you picture where or there? If it has any kind of component in that, you can't learn if you're dyslexic. So in school, the way they did it then, and they still do it somewhat now in private schools, they have you read out loud in front of your peers. For me, that was hell on earth. I learned shame having to read out loud in front of my peers when I couldn't pronounce words. And so, of course, like anybody, that would scar someone terribly. But why it's dangerous when you're a kid is you're forming your image of yourself. And so it does more damage than if someone insults you when you're older, when you're pretty cool, right? And so at that time, it was the worst thing in the world. But as I came out of school and got out of that damn jailhouse, got out of, yay, and went to my jobs, I had a different side of me. I was a charmer and I charmed my way into those jobs and out of those jobs and got paid and got the most tips and all that. And that that kind of thing wouldn't have found me or I wouldn't have found it if I didn't have that terrible experience and determination to be a somebody that taught me the burning desire. I'm going to be a somebody. What
1: were your parents like through all of this? Were they supportive
2: to you or no? Yes. Well, I had a wonderful mother. I had nine siblings, so they didn't have a lot of time. Oh, I know you can't imagine that. And I grew up in it and I still can't imagine it. And I saw it. You know? same, same mother? Of course, same mother wow. and same father. We think, <laughs> although one <laughs> child doesn't look like us, we're always talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> but we had 10 children. But I'll tell you what my mother did well, considering she was a lady with very little time. She decided what the birth, on the birth of each child, I should say, or close to it anyway, what she thought their great trait was. And she told us and made us perform it for me. I had a wonderful imagination. So she told me not to worry about school, (laughs) kind of crazy in a way. She said, with your imagination, Barbara, you'll learn to fill in all the blanks of some some kind of thing like that, she said to me. But I believed her. I was a kid. So what was great about my mother is she underlined the positive. And there's a positive in anybody, and that's what I used to build my business. I could see the positive in anybody and think, how could I build on it? Just like my mother did. I kind of like had a cheating system to to build my business, you know, but thank God for my mother uh, to offset the school experience. You, yeah. cut,
1: you do what your mother did now. Yes, of course I
2: do. Wouldn't you if it was a good formula? Yeah, that's yeah. that's
1: very, very smart. Yeah. So what was your first epiphany or taste of success from a really young age? When can you remember being like, wow, this is what this tastes like?
2: It was a magical day in our childhood. I was probably 12, 13 at the time, and my father decided to go out and start his own business with my mother's support. He was a printing press foreman. He washed trucks at night, but he always wanted to work for himself. And he just had all these kids to feed, so he never had that choice. One day, he decided to finally do it, and he called his company. It's almost like a made-up story. I'm not making this up. He called his company, Pre-press preparations, and he named himself Paul Peterson. And when people called, very few callers, he would say, hold the line, let me connect you with the president, Paul Peterson, and he would change his voice. (laughs) He had one job, making a belt buckle box, designing it and producing it. His first job, got $1,000, got paid. My brother Tommy and I drew the buckles because we could draw well. And then he took the $1,000 check home and passed it around the dinner table. And he said, guess what, kids? We're rich and we're going on vacation. (laughs) And we went off to Asbury Park for a week, the first vacation of our life, and we knew we were rich. It was the week we were all rich. We went to Asbury Park in, you know, one of those big houses where they rent rooms and just played all week. It it motivated me. We never got another vacation, of course, because he never got another job and he was back to the printing press. (laughs) But for that week what an inspiration. All of us remember it. It was like we, we were exception in life and taken out of our little life and to be rich for a week. Not that I value money because it's complicated. Oh, no, I do value money. Who am I kidding? I'm lying to you. <laughs> I love money, but it does, it's, not, <laughs> it's not cracked up to what it's supposed to be so far as satisfaction goes. It's great for options, not on satisfaction, honestly, and it complicates life. So I could tell you what's as bad about money is good about money, but I still want money. But I think I forgot your question. I started talking about my love of money.
1: No, you're you're (laughs) telling me about about your first taste of success. And it sounds like it had to do a lot with your father. Yes. What was maybe your own taste by yourself, your solo taste?
2: Well, you know, when I was building my business, I was very young when I started 23 and I was always in hock always owed more money than i had but always believed somehow it would work out i got that from my mother And this is the real estate business the real estate business here in new york city you know when i started the business was at old boys network they didn't want me in they didn't notice me i shouldn't say they didn't want me in after a while they didn't want me in but at first they didn't see me i was invisible i was the girl
1: though right you you are the back door. no one
2: sees it that way you must have had the same
1: i love coming down the chimney
2: yeah and getting (laughs) eaten
1: they, I'm gonna borrow that. So you you borrow, down the chimney. Yeah, because it's an it's an advantage. You, yeah. you kind of are quiet, and but I'm sure once they noticed you, you or were you're screwed. not perceived
0: as a threat to their business yeah. in the yeah. beginning, right? They're Until like, I was number two. At,
2: yeah. Until
1: you were so okay. So you yeah. come in, you, they don't they don't kind of notice you. Yeah. And then you started succeeding, and then.
2: Well, you know what? I started doing more than succeeding. I don't think you could have measured my balance sheet at any point along the way where I didn't have losses. So maybe I wasn't successful, but I was sure building fast. I was outpacing anybody on the strength of my ability to build through people because that's all it is. You have people to build with. I had the ability uh, to outcreate anybody. I could try anything because nobody was watching. The big guys were vested. They had reputations, big brand names, lots of money. They had attorneys. They had accountants. They had vetting machines. You know, they had to vet everything for security. And not me. I would think of an idea on a Monday, throw it out in the street on Wednesday, see if it worked or flopped, and do a new one on Thursday you know, so I had the freedom like a bird to do whatever I wanted. Do you know what an advantage that is? Give
1: us an example of an idea that you would throw out on a Monday and and execute on a Wednesday.
2: I was in a batch. I have so many of them, but the ones that just came to my mind, I'll tell you, I had a terrible, terrible year. I owed 70. I remember exactly what I owed $76,000, which maybe doesn't sound a lot to you, but that was probably four months overhead enough to put a little business out of business. I probably had at that time, maybe 12 agents in my company. And so I didn't Possibly know how I was going to make ends meet. It was a terrible real estate market. Interest rates were 18%. I was in the hock. I was actually writing like kind of a goodbye speech for my Monday meeting, which we always had a sales little mini meeting on Monday. And I thought of an idea to sell 88 apartments that I was asked to sell, which was no way to sell it. Nobody wanted these dogs. You know, they were horrible units all over town owned by a big insurance company. And I thought of an idea to sell them like puppies. Price them all alike, I said to the developer. And he went along with my idea. Price them all alike. Let's call it a secret sale. Let me just announce it to my agents, tell them to only bring the best customers. Let's spend no money on advertising. They didn't want to spend money. And let's have a one price sale. And I announced it exactly that fashion. And the morning I woke up, I had we had 88 apartments. I had probably 140 people in line waiting to buy. the we. It was sold like hotcakes in the worst market and I made over a million dollars. I paid back the money I owed. I opened a new office. People thought I had inherited a rich dad or something overnight. <laughs> That's when my competitors really stood up and noticed because I got so much publicity on this sale. By accident, I was just trying to survive, you know? But if it hadn't worked, what was lost? Nobody showed up the next morning. Okay, what do we do today? You know, you're just throwing stuff out. That's the beauty of being small. You can outcreate the guy with the big money. The guy with the big money that can't outcreate you. He can't move with speed. It's like he's got a giant battleship he's got to turn. You got a speedboat. Woo, 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 woo. And again, that's why young people today even have a larger opportunity because of social media being for free if you want it, if you're creative enough. It's a perfect platform really for a little guy.
1: When you have all these apartment buildings and all these people outside, did you immediately know, oh, my God, I did it? Or is it something that you had to see later down on the line? You know
2: what? I thought to myself, holy shit. I thought my mother was right. This is one of those Catholic miracles she always told us about. I thought Mm -hmm. God came down overnight and made it happen. But I'll tell you something. When I saw I walked into the sales office, we had the list to hand out exactly at nine o'clock, you know, "Ah, ah, ah," you know. But we, it was all in one location. So I was there. And when I saw somebody like was eight or nine arguing that somebody had cheated, he sent his wife to one unit and he was going to the other. They were arguing about it. I knew I had a hit. I was like, anger. There's passion
1: in this room. And yeah. when you then get this huge office and you're able to pay off everything and people start noticing you, what happens then? What oh, happens I don't when know. the big boys it's, notice you?
2: You know what? I don't think I don't even know. I don't even remember. But do you have a
1: seat at their table? Are they now? Oh, no, no, no.
2: No. Do you think the big boy is going to make a seat out of a table for someone who's getting stronger? No, they're going to stick you on a stool as often as they can and look down at you. No.
1: So what are some experiences that you can look back on where where, that it kind of wasn't fair how they were treating
2: you? Oh, whoa. One of the toughest ones, because I like to be loved. I'm not the kind of person that wants to be hated ever. I so much wanted to be loved. And I had run an ad campaign. There was no MLS in New York. And I was thinking it was unfair to the homeowners. They pick one broker and only their customers saw it. So they can't get their real value. So my idea was, let's start an MLS. I didn't know what to call it. And I didn't call it an MLS. I called it central listing. And I advertised to the public on remnant ads that were cheap to buy in the New York Times. You should list your apartment with the Corcoran Group. That was me. (laughs) because we share our listings with the whole community, which we did. It was like being Robin Hood. And my, to my surprise, honestly, the whole brokerage community piled against me and brought me on charges to the real estate board, which was our governing body. And they were telling me I was falsely advertising, which wasn't. But anyway, they chased me for three months, hired a big attorney. But it's funny, the guy that I sold those units for, what We we told that story earlier. Bernie Mendick was the president of the board. It was the only contact I ever had well in my life because I had sold his units and he loved me. I went to him and he squashed the lawsuit. Maybe it wasn't even legal. I don't know, but it was over and nobody could get their hands on me anymore. You know, They couldn't pile up like bullies anymore. I was again free to do my thing and I raced ahead. Yeah.
1: Besides the moment that you made a million dollars after that, where there, I'm sure there was many pivotal moments of your success. What was the next one? Sort of the next year?
2: The next year happened. A lot happened by accident when I was trying to do something purposely that failed. Explain I had, that what you mean. Okay. That. I had a great idea. I thought it was a great idea. I put all my homes on tape. Okay. And this was before the internet. So I I hired a videographer. I hired a makeup a makeup lady to make everybody look beautiful, beautiful photography, and I put all of our apartments on tape. And I said hand out the tape to your customers. They don't even have to look anymore. We the bring DHS the apartments tapes? to them. Yeah, the my agents handed the tapes of the apartments to their customers. Great idea. We were ahead of the time. I couldn't wait to see. I spent $77,000 on those tapes and they're rotting in the basement of my store next to Zabar's and it was a total failure. But as this is the lucky part, I was thinking how to save face and how to announce the failure without calling it a failure and how to cover it, you know, for the next week of my sales meeting. And I had dinner with my husband, who was a Navy captain who was playing war games in Korea, and he said they were playing the war games on a new medium called the Internet. And it was in real time and he was all excited. And I immediately went to my office, registeredcorcoran.com, and we had two sales that week. Boom, boom. It was like light, boom, boom, out of London. Two young guys, sight on seed, bought two apartments. Well, I knew what I had stepped in. It was the next thing that was going to change real estate so much. So I had two whole years to experiment before anybody went on the internet with real estate. What year was this? Mid-70s. Look up when the internet was. It was The the government had it first. It was really, really early. But you know why it took them so long, honestly? Because they weren't paying attention. I took all my URLs I register all the URLs of my competitors. You're allowed to do that. I own them all. And I waited for them to call me. (laughs) You find that funny? Well, this way I had a gauge of when they woke up. And you know, the largest companies call last. Proving the point that we were talking about. Again, the little guy moves ahead first. They were asleep at the wheel. They were the biggest companies in town. Called me like three years later. You have our URL. We want it back. All right. Oh, thank you. You just woke up. I get it. (laughs) By then I had chat boards i had terrible video i had flying through apartments all the stuff that didn't work but i had like almost four years to experiment what an advantage that was that internet brought me from i forget where i was when i started that maybe number five number six in the marketplace to number one it happened so fast because i had technology one thing
1: that is an essential in my wellness toolbox is my detox drops by Sakara. Okay. I love these in my water in the morning. I go crazy for them. I've probably gone through 10 bottles. They're chlorophyll drops, which really help with blood circulation. They're great in altitude. And also they're just so cleansing. I love these drops with lemon and ginger and mint in my water. I just feel like it gives my water a little flair. You could also get the beauty drops. They have like a little packet on their site that you can get both. And those are minerals. So the pair is awesome. If you're unfamiliar with Saqqara, let me introduce you to it. Saqqara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. So I get my drops straight to my door. It's so easy. You should know their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management to even easing bloat or boosting energy and even having clearer skin. What I would recommend is to go on the site, grab the drops. You got to get the detox drops. Like those are non-negotiable. Get the beauty drops. And then if you're looking for a meal delivery service, this is it. So if you want to bring something to the office that's quick and convenient and healthy, most importantly, Saqqara is for you. Right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when they go to sakaracom slash skinny. Or you can intercode skinny at checkout. That's sakara, s a k a r a dot com slash skinny. You get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash skinny. Two things we brought on vacation. I'll go first, Michael.
0: Well, we brought a thousand things, One, You brought seven bags, so I would not say two things because (laughs) you're absolutely absurd on how much you pack. But in that bag specifically, we brought a bunch of Symbiotica products.
1: And I will go first. Okay, the first thing that I brought non-negotiable, you saw it on my Instagram story, was the glutathione. And I brought this because I knew there was going to be a lot of champagne, a lot of margaritas. And Cherveen, the founder, came on the podcast and told us, when you are drinking alcohol, it's very important to up your glutathione. So I brought my little symbiotica packets with me on vacation. I had one every single day in the morning. They taste absolutely perfect. I think right now, They're actually my favorite out of the whole line. I've recommended them to all my friends.
0: Yeah, I'm not kidding. I usually pack a second suitcase for all the Symbiotica stuff I take. But this time we had to be a little bit more disciplined because we didn't have so much space because we had the kids with us. So I, without fail, always bring the vitamin D3, K2, and CoQ10 formula. I think it is one of the most complete, one of the best vitamin D3 formulas on the market. You can never go wrong taking more vitamin D3. You need it. You need to feel good. You need to have immune function. So that, for me, is a go-to staple in Symbiotica's line.
1: The vitamin D that Michael's talking about is beyond because we can also give a squirt to Zaza. So it's awesome. And you should know for the month of April, Symbiotica is planting one tree in a national forest for each order placed. So that's really cool. They're absolutely an incredible company. You can't go wrong on their site. Visit symbiotica.com skinny. You get 15% off site wide. That's symbiotica.com skinny. 15% off site wide. Did you always plan to sell your business? Was
2: that the plan from the beginning or no? Never. Sell so my children? Sell so the love of my life? I couldn't fathom. So, fathom, fathom. What is that word? Uh, well, uh, I'm not about the best it. at pronouncing things. Ask him.
0: Okay. We get a lot of poor reviews about it, to I be get honest, But it is what I it is. We just kind of go at with it At least you now. get
2: attention. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, at so least none I of us know attention. the word. She just
0: learned how to pronounce my name like last week. Yeah. Been together I like 20 years or so.
2: I'll use a different word. Yeah, Expecting. I couldn't expect that So, dream about it. So at what
1: point did you, was that even a thought in your head?
2: Well, I had a thought that led up to it, which is a cousin of a thought. When I started my business the first day, for whatever reason, I know it sounds crazy, I saw an image of myself as the queen of New York real estate. As clear as I could taste it and touch it, you know, I said, I'm going to be the queen of New York real estate. And now it sounds like a fantasy. But remember, I spent all my years in school fantasizing. I was good at fantasizing. I had it covered. I had that dream that I had to be the number one queen of real estate. And one night I was in my office with Esther Kaplan. I kept careful records of all my competition, the listing rates, what prices they were, where in town they were. You did head counts. By then there was an MLS of sorts. Anyway, I realized that night with Esther, we're number one. We're actually number one. And I said, let's sell this place. (laughs) It just came out of my head. Let's sell this place. And she said, "Really? Yeah, let's sell it." Three months later, like a Zoom marriage, we had it sold. Boom, like that. Yeah.
0: And is it just because you kind of reached the top I of your field? I reached my
2: dream. What was, I couldn't sure I couldn't again imagine where else I wanted to go with it. I had no picture. I got to where I wanted. I figured time to check out. You know, it was very rash. I realize, but that's how life is sometimes. You know, do, you got.
1: Do you go out and kill the tiger and get the sale, or does the tiger like? Or, uh, does it come to you?
2: Well. I did something that I think was pretty politically savvy I looked up to see who was buying companies in the real estate oh, space okay smart. and the biggest player was NRT and then I looked up their board and I saw an attorney on their board and I called I won't give you his name because I don't even know if it was legal honestly but I called on his part but I called him and said would you perchance know anybody who would be interested in buying my business I have so many dollars in sales it's a great business and he said, yes, I do. He never said he was on the board. I knew he was on that board. He went to the head of NRT, and that's how we got the deal done fast. And he was an you... inside man, so to speak, on my side. I think he thought he was the inside man on their side, but I saw him as the inside man on my side, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is, that's smart. That's going through the chimney. <laughs> well, let me add one thing to add a dose of reality on this. He came back fast with a $22 million offer. And I was on a chairlift with my roofer, brother, John. And he said, you ought to take it. It's a lot. And I said, I'm not. I'm going to tell him I want $66 million. And my brother said, you're crazy. Why? And I said, because it's my lucky number. They will bring me luck. And that's exactly what I went back with. And that's exactly what they paid. I wish my lucky number now was 150 I know. I was going to say. <laughs> I should have thought about 66 that. 66 is a great number. Yeah, it was good enough. So when
1: that sale goes through... What is it like when it goes through? Are you celebrating? Are you at home in your apartment, by yourself? Like, what is that like?
2: I think on any account, it's probably a weird sensation, like surreal for anyone who's never done it. Yeah. But for me, it was particularly complicated because I signed the contract on the eve of 9-11 Friday night. Oh, wow. And then they welched on the contract and didn't want to close because it was an act of God in the contract out clause, and I knew the deal was off. It was a heartbreak because... I really, again, saw the sales and I couldn't, if I saw it, I figured it had to happen. And so on Monday, 9-11 happened and I felt terrible, but my mind was so much on the sale of my business and it falling through. No phone calls were returned to me. I was a genius on Thursday. They couldn't wait to talk to me. And by Monday and Tuesday, I couldn't get a return call. So I saw the writing on the wall. Okay, when they did close on the sale, and I could tell you the interim story of how I closed the deal. Well, I'll tell it to you because you could cut it out if it's too long, right?
1: No, tell it, tell it. We okay, went on to I details. went and I
2: bought myself a toy gun, a nice silvery toy gun, a toy gun, really. It looked like a toy, like cheap plastic. And I went over to the head of NRT and I asked to see him. I was shocked the lady, because I had called him. I didn't get return calls. I was shocked she let me in his office. He had a huge conference table And he said, sit down, real gentleman. And I threw the gun on the table as an illustration, uh, like a show and tell. The gun to me represented the Corcoran Group. I'd replaced all the technology. I opened three new offices. 40% of my staff was brand new and trained. They hadn't kicked into production yet. I knew the potential of this business. The idea that somebody was lucky enough to get this business, I totally believed in. And the gun was an illustration of the bullets all loaded. It's shiny. It hasn't even begun to fire. I, was, I needed a prop. But he thought it was a real gun, of course. He jumped back maybe 10, 10 30, 40, 50 feet. Whoever knows. I never saw a guy jump backwards so fast. <laughs> but then I gave him my pitch. And to his great credit, he said, okay, just don't let me lose any money. And that was it. It was a five-minute pitch, a very important pitch. I should have left out the gun. I realize in hindsight. So you know, if someone's coming
1: to pitch Barbara on Shark Tank, bring a gun. No,
2: do And go to across the, the, table. You the gate. You won't get yeah, I don't through the tunnel. That, I don't know
0: if that flies no. these days.
2: <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't work. I don't think so.
0: I have another, que- I have a, yeah. maybe a pivot question for you. You work with so many people at this point and you have and you've invested. A bit. When you're hiring, there's a lot of people, you know, looking for my for, own company. For your own companies. Yes. What traits are you looking for?
2: Always the same old traits, a short list. I'm looking for attitude. Give me anybody with the right attitude, I could teach them anything. Even if they're not smart, I could teach them to do something better than anybody else in that arena, even if they're not smart. And if they're smart, you could take them to the moon and back. You don't know wh- what you could get out of them, you know? Um, but I, I am very good at spotting the talent and people right away where they have the potential, but they, I don't even think of that if they have the wrong attitude. I, I hire happy people. I've never gotten anywhere with somebody who's not happy. And I have learned because I learned through experience. I used to, when I was able to recruit out of other companies, get, get producing salespeople rather than grow my own, they were coming my way at, at some point. I hired a lot of miserable people. They were charming with customers, but they were miserable to live with. And finally, one day I realized I gave up teaching them to be happy. I thought if their mother could make them happy, Until they got to me, what do I think? I can make them happy. I got rid of them. I fired complainers all the time. Got them out of the house. So, Pete, that's what I was going
1: to ask you. When you say miserable, do you mean, like, you just mean someone who's constantly
2: complaining? You don't have to constantly complain. Some were better sharpshooters. They knew where to hit you when you were low and knew how to hit a colleague or steal from a colleague or badmouth somebody when they shouldn't have been doing it. I generally find negative people are fairly smart. Positive people always aren't. They always, always aren't smart. Maybe it's a great trait. Um, but no, they were. some of them were big talkers, but one thing they had in common, if they were saying negative, they needed somebody else to be negative with them. So they suck out your talent. Hey, listen, there's a space in every business for critiques. I welcome criticisms. Let you know what's going wrong before you're able to see it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who just sucks energy. They're like thieves in the night. You have to get rid of them to protect your good stock, good stock and people that are capable. I don't know how we got on the negative. You're depressing me just talking about no, it. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. like All sometimes
0: right, in my personal experience, maybe I don't know if you've seen this as well. Sometimes those are even some of your best performers, but you got to cut them because they drag everybody else down. Yes. Right. Like they've been so paper. right. I'm
2: sorry. I'm so sorry you had that experience because it's frightening when you realize that, that this person is making 60% of my overhead. I can't fire them. Even though they're killing me in emotion and energy here. And everybody else. And everybody else. Quietly everybody else, but really killing the boss. Because it's your responsibility. You're the parent. You're there to protect everybody. So it's going to hit you hardest, you know? Um, But let me tell you, I fired my first top salesperson who was so miserable. I almost sold the business to Merrill Lynch one year for what was I selling for $120,000? What a shame. Five years later, I sold it for $66 million. Oh, Jesus. But this complainer was the one who was getting me to think about selling the business to anybody to get out until I fired her. And I'm telling you, I learned a valuable lesson. I fired this lady. I'll give her a false name. I'll call her Mary Jane. She wasn't any Mary Jane. I have to, Corella DeVille, I fired her <laughs> one week. <laughs> And the very next week, Norma Hirsch walked in the door, wet behind the ears, classy lady. She even had false eyelashes when nobody had them on. And she walked in. I said, she's a seller. And she outperformed the woman I fired within six months. Boom, I got rewarded for my confidence or for getting over my fear, maybe. And I always, always was quick to fire even good producers. They always got replaced. And you know what else? When you get rid of someone who's a complainer, you could feel in the office i could feel it in my bones it was a lift everybody lifted up it was like taking a thorn out of a horse's hoof or something the whole office benefited immediately
0: yeah because everybody's already kind of thinking it and saying it but they they're scared it. to speak up because maybe that person's performing or bullying or whatever and oh it, yeah i feel as a, it boss, is a form of bullying yeah and as a boss they i think immediately respect you more because they can tell that you're protecting not only them but the business right mm. And they can, and they also know, okay, maybe that person was performing, but it's dragging everybody down. So it, I feel like it also builds a different kind of loyalty and respect because they yes they see that you have their interests at heart.
2: I was loved more. Yeah. That was a real long-term benefit. You know what happened to me? One day, very early on in my business, probably had seven people or so, uh, we were renting apartments and we were starting to sell apartments. And we had a great salesperson, never said a word. Usually people could sell well, talk well. Okay, she never said a word. She would come in the office, keep filing things in her drawer. She was making a lot of sales. One day I realized, I said, wait, is she sharing her listings? Which was my company philosophy. You can't pocket listings on your colleagues. And at night, you'll have to forgive me. But we didn't have lock desk. I looked in her drawer and I saw secret listing cards. So I waited until the sales meeting on Monday, waited the end of the week. <laughs> I loved it. I don't think you could do it today. Anyway... I announced that Lorraine had made two more sales. Let's give her a round of applause, which was our usual thing. And I said, Lorraine, we didn't really have that listing at Sutton Place, 60 Sutton 11F. Did anybody else have it? Everybody checked their notes. No, no. We didn't really have that listing. I hadn't been checking her sale addresses. And I, the two sales that week, she only had those listing cards. And I said, take your things and get out of here. Just like that. She got up, very upset. It was really cruel in hindsight, I guess. Maybe you should edit this part out. And let me tell you something. That story was told for the next 20 years. It became folklore in our business. And you know what? No one dare cheated again. I mean, it was so much better than publishing a manual or, or say, don't do it. Just she was like a sacrificial lamb. But the way I was able to justify it is she was taking money from my other people, my good people. She had to go. But perhaps I should have privately let her go, but I wanted everybody to remember it, you know? Well, it's hard. Remember I Remember it.
0: I think, obviously, that individual, that was probably a life-altering moment. But for everybody else, I think it establishes the boundaries and the rules, and it keeps everybody yeah. honest in a way, right? Or at least it lets people know that they're going to be held to an honest account.
2: Yes, um, I guess. But honestly, if I was doing it again, I think I would be much more empathetic to uh, the woman as well. I think I had the, the virtue of my family in my head so strongly that she had to go. But I think the how to go could have been a lot more gentle and perhaps I could have figured some other way to make the lesson known.
1: If you, if you could give uh, us as bosses mm-hmm. tips on how to be a better boss, what are those tips?
2: Spoil your children and get your priorities straight. If you're a great boss, you know you're working for your people. They're not working for you. The minute you get those hats mixed up, you're not a good boss anymore. You're looking from your viewpoint and you're not serving who is providing your living. I mean, when I sold my business for $66 million, I knew there was one reason why I was able to do it. Those people gave me that money. And so why wouldn't I spoil them rotten? I mean, my whole life, all I thought about was, what could I do for you? How could I make you better? What could I do now? What could I do? What could be about I always had the interest at heart, never my own. And I got a free ride to the top. I never thought I'm going to make a lot of money. I always knew I would be number one. But I wasn't hoping to make a lot of money. That came. I was kind of surprised by it. And let me not tell you. I'm sorry. Can I return to your earlier question? Go sure, for Because it. sure. it's so, so thrilling. You asked earlier about what it's like to sell a business. You know, what does it feel like? The morning after I sold my business after 9-11, it was about two weeks later, I guess we closed. I went to the Citibank machine, and I never asked anyone all the papers I signed, where's the money? It sounds stupid, but I never said, where's my money? (laughs) So I went to the Citibank machine in the corner where I live on Madison Avenue. I put my card in to get my usual $200 cash a week. I always got it, same thing, instant cash, you know, fast cash, whatever it is, put it in there. $200 and out came my credit card, my uh, receipt. And the receipt said $44 million. I didn't yet get my third payment, but <laughs> $44 million in my checking account. So what the best part about that thrill that day is I get that thrill once a week. I go to the Citibank machine, the same one. And I hear that cheat <laughs> on that little machine. Sure. And I, I re, re it's like groundhog day. I relive that thrill. And it's still a thrill. <laughs> She is so cute. Do you guys love this? I
1: mean, oh my gosh,
2: so cute. I don't mean to be cute. I'm too old to be cute. Okay, what's up? Um, She's so beautiful, say. She is so beautiful. Right, she is I'll so
1: gorgeous.
0: <laughs> so after all this, how how long after this do you start looking to invest in other people's businesses and other people's dreams? Is this something that you just kind of fall into or do you intentionally decide that you're going to be an investor?
2: No, I should have had my head examined. What's wrong with making a lot of money and keeping it? No, I had to find (laughs) something to spend it on. (laughs) No, that came to me happenstance. I had to reinvent myself, which was no easy charge. I thought I would take Italian cooking classes and have more time and retire. Within one week, I was driving my husband crazy. It was obviously not going to work already to me. I saw that. So I had to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up all over again. But I was 46. You don't have the energy. 46 is very young. But you don't have the same naivety you have when you're 26, right? Yep. And so I decided I was going to go into a business that tapped into the things I did well. I could talk. And what I really needed was attention. I was needy. I was one of 10 kids that's was still needing attention. So I went into the media business, the TV business, seemed to fit the bill. And I became the real estate commentator uh, through the falling of the market. My timing was good at the today show on good morning america that gave me my inroad yeah it took me a year to even get a spot though i mean i was all the producers would invite me in never give me a gig or an opportunity and ask me how much their apartment was worth (laughs) that was the routine so when i finally got it i was doing about two three years and i got the call from mark Burnett studios asking if i'd be on shark tank it happened just that way Did
1: you know Shark Tank was going to be so successful when you signed on?
2: I thought it was a fishing show. I said I didn't fish. They said it wasn't. Wouldn't you think it would be? I mean, if you don't know what it is, Shark Tank. Yeah, I don't fish. You know, that normal thing. But when they explained what it was, I thought, yeah, I think I might be good at that. I really didn't know. And I wasn't very good at it. I spent the first two years losing every nickel i put into all those businesses it, had you
0: invested in other businesses prior to going never. on the show okay it was
2: just your never had the opportunity you,
1: you lost every single nickel that you put into every one of the first, first two years in the first year definitely what was the first hit
2: the fir- very first hit maybe year three cousins made lobster actually yeah jim and sabin of cousins made lobster they have a giant franchise of lobster trucks and stores yeah they hmm. were the first hit but when they were on the show this is the bellwether change that season. I finally realized I wasn't buying businesses. I was trying to analyze businesses and be a big shot, you know, like, oh, tell me about your returns, faking it. And then I realized I'm choosing people. It's what I did my whole life. I choose the right people. And so I ignored the businesses and just chose the people and just zoomed in on those people. And Jim and Sabin were my first big hit. What's the most successful one that you've invested in out of everything? Well, if successes make the most money, it's comfy, uh, which is an oversized sweatshirt. And in three years, they sold two hundred eighty million dollars. Jesus Christ! I know Jesus Christ is right. Whoever saw that truck coming? Yeah, well. An oversized sweater. You're talking about like the it's snuggy a, thing? It's no. like a sweatshirt. It's a hoodie. They drop over. They call it an oversized blanket. It's like a like a snuggy type thing, or is well, it maybe yeah, they call it? So I didn't even think you're. Were- Old enough to remember Snuggie. We remember Snuggie.
1: I got, we had, we had Snuggies matching with our
2: Chihuahua. Yeah. We had <laughs> So, okay, so Comfy was the, is the most successful out of Huge all. Huge hit. They didn't know where they were going to manufacture it. They didn't know who was going to buy it. They didn't know what it cost. They handmade it. They had two on set and they sang a stupid jingle. And they wanted, uh, I forget what money they wanted, it was so little, it was like a relief to hear a low number. But I bought a third of their business for $10,000 or was it 50, whatever was, a minimal amount of money. And I honestly thought, you know what? They're never going to make any money. But I love these guys. They're so lively and fun and they'd be great to have a beer with sometime. And I felt a little bad because I got no other offers. Boom. Whoever saw that come? It was like a race car going down the track.
1: The Skinny Confidential Him and Her podcast is brought to you by Better Help. This is such a moment in time. We can now do therapy online, and the best part of this is is that you can do it on camera or you can just pick up the phone. I am obsessed with Better Help. So if you want to deepen your sense of self awareness and understanding, and even like really gauge what you're reacting to then therapies for you. Basically, what BetterHelp does is it connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on a journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I really like the option of being able to do therapy from my home. I think that that is not only saving me the stress of like getting in the car and going there and sitting in the waiting room, but it's also saving me time. I'm able to be at home. It's just more effective. And I'm like in my own personal space in my bubble with my blanket. It just, it's, it's better. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. For me, I think that therapy is such an incredible tool in the toolbox. And this one is entirely online, convenient, flexible, and suits your schedule. All you have to do is fill out like a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And this is important too. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So if you don't jive with your therapist, you can switch. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/skinny today, and you get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P.com/skinny. I found the most comfortable underwear. It's underwear that doesn't dig into my sides. It's underwear that fully pulls everything in it in a flattering way. But most importantly, it's soft, it's stretchy, and it supports me. It should be no surprise that it's by Skims. You've seen Skims everywhere. Skims is the solution-oriented brand, creating the next generation of underwear, loungewear, and shapewear for every body. Fits Everybody has supported me through every stage of motherhood, from breastfeeding to after breastfeeding to postpartum. And I can tell you as a practitioner, it lays nice underneath clothes. Even when I'm recording, I love how this is like weird, but I love how it looks in the video. I love how it photographs. It's just the best bra and underwears on the planet. And I have implants and they can be really heavy. So finding a good bra is really important to me. I need something that's not too tight, but I want something that really fits my boobs. They're big, but it's also like comfortable. I need comfort. The ones that I like specifically, I made like a list for you of the ones that I wear all the time are the scoop bralette. I like it in onyx. It's like kind of like a black. I love the crossover bralette. I wear this all the time. And then the triangle bralette in sand is so good. And I'm saying these specific colors because they really lay nice under clothes. And most importantly, they just are comfortable. The fits everybody collection of underwear are lightweight form fitting essentials. The buttery soft fabric literally molds to your body and stretches to twice its size. And you should know it's offered in a range of cuts and fits from underwear and bras to dresses, t-shirts, and bodysuits, available in sizes extra, extra small to 4X, and it's offered in nine core colorways and limited edition seasonal colors. I'm telling you, believe the hype. This collection has over 90,000 five-star reviews for a reason. Skims fits everybody and more best-selling essentials are now available at skims.com. Plus, you get free shipping on orders over $75, all at skims.com.
0: If there's one thing now that I absolutely cannot live without, it is ingrained in my routine. It is ingrained in my fitness. It is ingrained in my life. That is Athletic Greens, better known now as AG1. I take this stuff every single day. I make Lauren take this stuff. If you want better gut health, if you want better immunity, if you want to have all of your adaptogens, your multivitamin all in one place, Athletic Greens has everything for you. This is the simplest product to take. You take a heaping scoop of Athletic Greens, put it in a big glass of water. You do this every single morning. It's going to remind you to hydrate. It doesn't break your fast. It's made with all clean and great ingredients. And like I said, this one really gives you the most bang for your buck. There are so many supplements, so many products on the market. You don't know where to start. If you had a limited budget and you were just going to pick one thing, this is the thing I would recommend. Because again, like I said, it's got your prebiotics, it's got your probiotics, it's got your multivitamins, it's got your greens, it's got your adaptogens. It's got everything well-rounded and it's going to remind you to hydrate.
1: Michael does this every single morning in a shaker bottle. He'll get his shaker, he prepares his water, his ice, he'll put his greens in, he'll do a shake. And how I like to prepare mine is in a glass cup, I like to froth it up with a frother so you could shake it or froth it. So if you want a code, we have one, of course, for you. If you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I love the travel packets too. They're so easy to travel with in like your handbag. You're going to go to athleticgreens.com slash skinny. That's athleticgreens.com slash skinny. Check it out. Who's the savviest investor out of everyone, Mark?
2: No one knows.
1: No one knows. Oh, so there's not one that you could point to.
2: No, I would say if I had a point, it would be a run-up between Lori and I. If I had a guess, the women. Do you know why men don't admit failure so well? I mean, I'll say to Mark, he sits to my right or Kevin on my left, wow, how, you know, there's a pitch on about, say, the golf industry. And I'll go, oh, how did you do on your super golf balls that you invested in last winter? You know, and... Mark will say, amazing, hit it out of the park. I go to his assistant, I say, how did Mark do on that? Go, <laughs> <laughs> we no. all tell each other lies. It's not just Mark. We all have phenomenal hits, but we don't get to see each other's balance sheets.
0: I think Lori just invested, there was a kid that we went to, it was not a kid now, he's our age, went to high school with, well, and middle school, and elementary, and he did that Nana Hats project. You, you, Which one was Nana was hats? On The little Nana Hats. The things that go on top of the bananas, I think Lori invested in it. I kind of remember all these pictures. No, also
2: yeah. Manscaped.
0: Manscaped. Yeah. We t- oh, we've yeah. had a lot I didn't of candidates. get
2: I that. Uh, that's going to zero. It's got to go to zero. Please don't tell me it was a hit. Manscaped? The Manscaped? It's, it's, fr- oh, it's crushing here. it. Like I said, I'm sure it was a hit. <laughs> 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 so edit that part out. <laughs> so had, was it really?
1: Every guy needs to groom well, you know, their, their nether regions. We've like, had sorry. Really? Of, yeah.
2: Even beyond a gag gift, you don't know the sales edge, do you? The well, sales, it's, it's crushing. It's got, it, it went public. I've just run out of time. It went public. It went public. This is the worst interview I've ever had. I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to go home and cry. <laughs> you mentioned earlier
1: about money, and you said that you, I think you said money is a. Wait, tool. are you sure about that? You didn't
0: I'm, get your. I'm you almost, didn't get
2: the name. Listen, Wolf, yeah. can, we, can we Google if Manscaped went public? Well, don't give them any more attention. Okay. okay, well, they're they, they happen
0: to be an advertiser partner of the ship manscaped.com. Don't don't forget. Don't, oh, they're don't cancel fine, then
2: they're just fine. They're yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, they sent me over the, the weed whacker 2.0. Listen, we're giving them a free plug out right here. <laughs> One of their stocks, so high. in mean, Christ.
2: Charge them more today. Yeah,
0: yeah. But we've had candidates from Shark Tank on the show. Yes. And what I'm always interested in is what does this actually look like after you're off the television property and you're, you know, yes. actually doing the deal because
2: like the behind the
0: scenes, yeah, the behind the scenes because. You and I saying, hey, we're doing this thing. Like, what does it look like when you actually start getting into that operating agreement and the dollars and how does it flow in? Like, d- does every deal go through or does some fall out? And, you know, how much diligence do you guys actually get to do? Because I'm assuming you, you know, you hear the pitch, but then you also have to look and see, hey, is this a real business and a real operation? Yeah.
2: You know, it's kind of like we're in the normal industry. You do your due diligence thoroughly before you make an offer. We get the offer done, the terms of the deal done, and then we do the due diligence. So it usually takes a couple of months to really do do good due diligence, and you do as much as you want. And do you have the option
0: if the diligence doesn't line up to say...
2: Always, always. And I would say maybe a third of the deals kick out for various reasons. Uh, Sometimes in some seasons, almost as much as a half of them, you know. And it's not that the person is very different than who you saw on set, but the patent they owned, which was crucial at this particular deal, a product deal that you assume they owned is owned by the brother-in-law and won't give it back. Or things go awry, like little hiccups that seem like hiccups, but they make a substantial difference in whether they're investable or not. Sure. Uh And sometimes the entrepreneurs get cold feet. They sold 30% of their business. They said, what were we drinking that day? and they don't want to do it, and they renegotiate the deal back to a small percentage. And sometimes the percentage goes from 10%, and they want to give 5%, and the shark doesn't want to do it. So things happen. But I think the intent of the due diligence is to move forward until you run into something that stops you. you know? Sure. It would be really interesting. We don't ever get to see... And Even with all my entrepreneurs, I don't ever ask them, what's it like on that other side? It's a great question. Well, because
0: we've had yeah. people that have been on the show. Some deals have gone through, some have not, and I won't put them on blast, and they were talking mm-hmm. about this process.
2: Yes. And, and how did they find the process?
0: Well, I think some of them find it great because they, you know, they get a great deal done and they're happy with the investor, and some of them... You know, we're like, hey, like, we, you know, cold feet. And mm-hmm. then there's others that are like, maybe it didn't go through, but then they got the attention of the show and then it later works out, which, you know, I don't know how people feel they about it.
2: They thought that. of it as a booby prize and then realized that was a big cone of the attention but of the show. But they all
1: say that the yeah. that the experience helps them become a better pitcher and they can oh. refine and edit and, and they learn from the experience. I mean, they've all said that across the board.
2: hmm. Yeah. But learn from the experience then to go out and get other funding and make a win of it or just learn. That's no good just learning for no sake, right? I do not did not I I d yeah. I didn't I don't know. Yeah.
0: Is it a challenge now in your personal life? And how do I say this delicately?
2: When people don't be delicate with okay. me. You're flirting with me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. Wife's here.
0: All right. When people away. know <laughs> that you are
2: you manscaped? They did go public. Who went public? Manscaped. You just ruined my day. My mm. year. My life. Oh, you guys the, are that competitive. Like, you'll actually, get the next really. One. You know what? Manscape. Wait, was I on set that day? Maybe I wasn't on set. Save my life here. Well, can you look up if
0: they if they actually took money from Shark Tank or if they just went on Shark Tank? They might have not.
2: A lot more people go on Shark Tank using Shark Tank as a means for them.
0: You know what I saw, which was crazy. That this was just on TikTok. the Other day I was on there. Lauren sent it to me. The guy that came up with the Ring and came on and then became a shark. That's a yes, wild story. We invited
2: him back. That's we hated story. to have him back. <laughs> I'm sure. We all passed on the deal. Fortunately, I don't look, I know I look like I'm doing a cop out. I wasn't on set that day. I wasn't, but would I have bought it? No. Anyway, yeah, like, like, yeah. so What is it? It watches
0: people? No, no. So maybe that's something to Doorbell talk about. Doorbell
2: that sees people on the other side of your door. Oh, you should have had me on. I would have bought
0: Actually, that. Actually, okay. Yeah. I want to go back to the. But,
1: I, I say that, but I think I would have. I well, want to go back to too late people to buy one. one.
2: That's a good idea. In your yeah.
0: life, when they know you have $66 million in a checking account, and mm-hmm. then we can go to the ring guy.
2: They don't, they just know I have money. They pitch me all the time. The cabbie pitches me. Oh. I'm at a birthday party, a restaurant. Oh, do you have a minute, Miss Corcoran? Everybody pitches me. The lady at JFK Airport, maybe three years ago, pitched me in the other stall. She was pitching my feet. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but, you know, you have to see the comedy in that. Yeah. yeah. And you have to also be complimented by it. I mean, you can be annoyed at times when you're exhausted, but you see the compliment in it because people want to do business with you. How many people get... People indiscriminately coming and wanting to do business. It's got to be a compliment. So it happens all the time. But what I learned and what I was starting to say, when I sold my business and had all that cash, everybody I knew had a $10,000 problem. And I doled out $10,000 bills like it was nothing because it seemed like nothing. When you're newly rich, I mean, $1,000, it's like, sure, I have enough money to buy a boat even, you know? And so I'm doling it out. And I must have gone through maybe 10, 20 people when I realized I need a bad guy. And I send everybody from that point to my accountant who played bad guy. I would say, as long as my accountant loves it, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. And never hear from him again. Go to the accountant. So here's my go to, well, I shouldn't say it's a line what no say it well, no i don't want i don't want well not the whole world watches your podcast all right right, I'll get yes it they fl- do the whole world
0: watches this thing this is this this is the podcast well
2: i'm gonna get pitched by your people now and i don't have my go-to excuse i always say it's against my abc contract to listen to pitches oh no that's good listen well you can't but it is true oh, if you, because, pitch oh, me, you can't go on shark tank you're disqualified and then sometimes i use that But I try to put a little stop, or my whole life would be listening to pitches. You have to. You have to have a. No, but I I
0: wonder about it because you almost get the double whammy where one people know you're financially successful, but two they also know that you're regularly doling out money for investing, and so you don't only only get. Yeah, you don't only get the people that are like, "Hey, can you help me?" You also get the people that say, "Can you help me and invest in my business?" And I imagine that's challenging. By the way, we're using that accountant thing moving forward, Lauren. That's a great thing. (laughs) Great strategy. What? (laughs) Ask
2: my accountant. accountant? Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. I, I hope that I I'll sell tell, my business.
2: No, can I tell you the trim on it? Sure. I'll make sure to tell him you'll be calling. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Here <laughs> comes another one. His name is John Doe.
0: <laughs> you mentioned I, I, It earlier. sounds like
2: I'm making fun of people. I'm really not. It's just. You would be getting pitched I, all day long this, and also
1: you're a public figure. You have to have a line that you say. I mean, you have to.
0: Listen, I think this is a relatable ah. thing too. And it's not, I mean, I maybe, could be
1: nice instead.
0: Maybe 66 million is not <laughs> as relatable, but there's always, you know, we all have that friend or family member that starts to do well and all of a sudden they become the family bird feeder, right? Yes. And I think that's dangerous because it changes the dynamic, oh, right? It, it ruins a relationship. Yes. I've
2: had that. I've lost a couple of friends. Sincerely dear friends because of money because I loan them money to buy a house in two instances and they couldn't repay. Things went bad with their husband or whatever, whatever. And they wound up very painful. I mean, you could get a business partner or a mortgage any day of the week, someone with someone, but you can't get a new friend. I mean, do you think yeah. that they
1: end up hating you though, because they can't pay you back? And so yes. the only way to deal with it is to have hate for you.
2: Uh, I maybe hates too strong a word, truly, but they resent sorely because of their shame who wants to be beholden to a friend and you know what there's something wrong with that the dichotomy or hey how ten dollar word the balance of friendship is everybody's even once you get make it uneven friendship doesn't work anymore i got more money than you it's fine as long as i don't have money more money than you and i show it and i give it to you and you can't pay it back you think of the craziness that happens there emotionally
0: i used to lend money to friends that were doing certain things right what happened was in many cases it kind of ruined the friendship because to your point if it couldn't be paid back even if i had written it off mm. it was a sore point of contention where like we all kind of knew this happened
2: mm.
0: and it's this kind of like unspoken awkward thing where people can't move past it's absolutely. like absolutely yeah.
2: it, it, it's a closure michael i'm going to give you a good word of advice because it's something i've done in the last five years that i learned from my brother as a small business of his own He said, when people want money from me, now I freely give people money. I mean, I don't give hundreds of thousands of dollars away, but to friends and friends and family and cousins and somebody who's in a hard time, I always give them money and they always want a loan. I said, this is not a loan. It's just a gift. Don't worry about paying me back. I'm happy. I'm rich enough to give it to you. You deserve it. No shame. Yeah. No expectation. No imbalance. And I learned that from my brother and it really does work. Well, yeah, because it, it neutralizes it. Yes, it does. And it's also kinder and leaves the ego intact. How important is that? Yeah, yeah. no, I
0: uh, firmly agree. I think like-
2: Can I have a loan?
0: <laughs> you can have a loan. I'm testing you,
1: 100,000? Yeah. yeah, what are you gonna say? Go to, go to my accountant? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah let's, let's talk to my accountant, Barbara.
1: You mentioned <laughs> earlier- your accountant? I'm yeah. not falling
0: for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you mentioned earlier about money as a tool and that you have a complicated relationship
2: with it. What did you yeah. mean by that? Well, it complicates people. You know, money is a God for so many people, whether they know it or not. And so if I have a new friend, and I have many new friends, okay, I'm very, very careful about believing that someone wants to be my new friend. I'm always asking what's in it for them. Isn't it terrible? It almost makes you more cynical. And I'm not a cynical person, I'm trusting. But you have to pause and think, because I'd say half the people are working a scheme. They want something out of it, and they're kissing your butt in a way, making you feel good uh, for the wrong motive. It's not friendship.
1: But don't you think that fame adds another layer to that? That's even more complex.
2: Well, fame is different. It's not as damaging, I think. If you're comfortable with any notoriety, you don't mind. And I'm a friendly person, so I'm okay with that. I think fame isn't uh, nearly as damaging because it's magic to us. So you don't get a sincere conversation because they are thinking you're different than them in a better way you know so it's ingenuous but it's not the same as money. money just warps motivation and it's not as clear you know somebody said oh I've loved you my whole life you're my grandfather's favorite shark which I hear all the time I hate to hear you're my grandmother's favorite really <laughs> you know you could take it on face value and say okay. But somebody with the money issue, you know, and then the, the pitch comes out later, not for the business, but there's something in your friendship they want out of you. It's kind of get and then you have to kind of come to terms that you fell for it. And how do you gently get rid of them? And
0: they are not there kids, just for the friendship. Wacky
2: for your children. You have young children. Sure. Wait till they turn eight, nine, 10, 11 and start to see the money fame card to
0: your point when people look at it, it's like oh that ha-, you're different than, than us you have this platform or this thing with attention. Mm. It's
2: attention
0: there's there's a maybe different motivation to want to either spend time with our kid or with us because you all you're then in that bubble and to Absolutely. your point like I you know we've done this for so long and met so many people and to me people are people right mm, it's like this yes, your profession is right your profession is your profession yes. and some of those professions have a little more attention than others but it it makes it harder to decipher, who you have a genuine relationship with, and why? For children and for the child, yes, for the yes, chi- like. Does do you, does your kid really want to spend time with our kid, or are you trying to use the kid for a different, you know, t- tactic? You know, I think
2: your kids will kind of learn that on their own.
0: It's part of the reason we went to Texas, honestly, because I, you know, I think good thinking though. Well, what, how did
2: how did your kids handle it? Well, you know, I have one son who's twenty nine, and he grew up before I had. Uh, any real notoriety. I was known in the real estate trade, but that's different. In your industry, you're well-known and respected. That's one thing. But Hollywood's something else, right? Public figure of sorts is something else. That's what my daughter Kate came into. Kate is 17 now, had a very late. And she regularly, by the time she was eight or nine, said, they don't want to be my friend. They want you as a friend, mom. And she dropped the kid. They're not really my friend. They're your friend, mom. So it, but where it can play havoc with a child, and did with Kate, and still, I think is a is a challenge that she has to deal with. And I sometimes I feel guilty about it because I created it for her, uh, didn't mean to. She's got to deal with the challenge of uh, who's genuine, who's not, at a very early age. And it's it's kind of self degrading for a child to realize, even in a split second, or a week later, or whatever. They're not really after me. They just like me because of my mother's daughter.
1: I yeah. actually think it's a superpower though to be able to have experienced mm. that at a young age because Why? then you can have a bullshit meter earlier on. Yeah, but it's also and you can you can see people's intentions earlier on. You're, I think that it's almost well a said. gift you gave your daughter. But the because- other
0: side of it though is that mm. it's not a norm like. It's maybe challenging to be a young kid and always have the bullshit meter because you might miss genuine relationships and at the same time... She does.
2: I could see some kids are entirely genuine and she misreads it. Yeah. Yeah. But to your point, that is a great way to look at it. I'm going to reframe my guilt as... A provider of good lessons it <laughs> for is. my kids if she yeah. wants
1: to do a business deal if she wants to if someone wants her to invest if she's gonna i mean
2: it's it's a tool she can use and you know what she really can size up people just as fast as i could including dogs and she's 17 yeah i mean that's pretty that's mm. a
1: pretty impressive skill at 17 mm-hmm. for an
0: assortment of reasons yeah. by the, around the time our daughter's 13 we will be becoming amish and we will move out to the middle of nowhere and I lose that. all technology and just live. I'm going to grow a long beard. I'm going to have a horse. Oh,
2: it sounds so good. And I doubt it. Nobody You're addicted will already. Come on. Know. No. <laughs> Before you go, I would love for you
1: to tell us some things that you do to set up your morning and nighttime. I know to be this successful, there's must be like little tips and tools and habits and hacks <laughs> oh, that God. you do. Tell us some, like, how do you take your tea? Do you drink coffee? What time do you wake up? Tell us those little
2: tips you're going to edit this part out because I don't have a good answer. Um, by the time I get home at night and could get a dinner on the table, which is mediocre at best, Monday through Friday, I, I use all my power to make it to my bed and drop into it. I usually go to bed without washing my makeup on or rather. I usually always have eye infections because I haven't even taken my lashes off. It's just terrible. I don't have a good routine. But what I do do at work that keeps me on the straight and narrow is I always know what my top priorities are to get myself ahead. I have always how it's Ivy Lee, your, Ivy, Ivy Lee, Lee method. method. She's obsessed. Oh, with Oh, I don't
1: know what that is. It's your top. You just focus on the top priority.
2: Well, I invented it. How you old is she? It?
1: Ivy Lee. It's invented. Was oh, it he?
2: Uh, Was the name like Ivy? Okay. Ivy
1: Lee is invented by a very famous man, but I can't remember his name. And I think dead. his name
0: is Ivy Lee. No, right? it's not. No? It's Charles
2: something. He copied it from me. It's called a to do list. <laughs>
0: so, how, so how, okay, this is actually, I want to stay on this. How do you identify your top priorities? Because I, I'm reading this book. Have you ever heard of this book, 4,000 Weeks?
2: I have heard, I have not read it yet. It's Couldn't interesting
0: I, because, yeah, it, basically the context is most humans only have 4,000 weeks. And I'm that, depressing. Yeah, it's depressing. I have less. but the point is is that at some point you're always sacrificing something you can't get it all done and the idea is that you just have to identify what your top things are and then sacrifice the stuff that's not and i wonder how you think about this
2: anyone who's made a success knows what their priorities are you don't have time you have to hit your a's all the time in my book it's simple What on this list is going to move me ahead they're usually the higher risk things that have a less of a chance to work at. They're usually the things you have to call and pitch somebody or ask a favor. The things we don't like to do. I hate doing that stuff. I'd rather spend my morning writing thank you notes on the special paper I have picked out in the right color. Thank you, so nice. You'll get one from me. Thank you, so nice <laughs> meeting you. Those are the things I like to do, right? But no, I give myself that late in the afternoon as a treat if I even get through it by then. I hit the things I don't want to do. I don't want to do it. Just hit it, get out of the way. And the minute you get out of the way, huh, you're going to succeed so much better at everything because you feel good about yourself. It's about self-esteem, pushing yourself up. I, my A's are always the things I don't want to do. And they're always the things that will push my business ahead. They're always the things with the lowest batting average too. If I have four A's, I'm expecting to get one and four. But I'll try like the Dickens for all four uh, and I'll get one. But I'd much rather be writing. Thank you. Notes. I'd much rather be thinking of a creative idea for TikTok. I'd much rather be doing this or that. I have a hundred things better than the things I really have to do.
0: Yeah. I find people in order to feel productive, and I was guilty of this for a while, is you just put stuff on your to-do list that you kind of like doing so that it makes you feel like you're being productive and <laughs> you're busy. you a nut
2: job. Of course I do it.
0: Yeah. But that,
2: do you do that too but oh yeah it's always okay. the
0: stuff that's on there that you know you don't want to do, and then you're like oh I can't do it so you fill it with other stuff that's meaningless in order to make yourself feel like you're actually doing something yeah. but it doesn't move the needle
2: you're like get orange juice and a separate whole line and eggs <laughs> Cross out, that's cross so. out. <laughs> love you. Ed. So what about your like morning? Do you have coffee, tea? What time do you wake up? I want to know, is there a beauty product you love? Oh, oh, that's easy. I, I am consistent. I must say I'm an early riser because I do early work usually. So I okay. have to get up early. What time? Uh, usually six, 10, six, 15. Okay. I always work out at either seven or eight, depending upon my day. Not every day, three days a week. Okay. And that's too much. It's about three days too much in my book. I hate working out. But I do it. I've been doing it since the day my son was born. And he's 29. I never miss it. Even on vacation. Well, now on vacation, I do it on Zoom. You know? Oh. Yeah. So I just work out. I have my cup of coffee and some sugary bun that has no nutrition that tastes delicious. Yeah. Even if it's stale. I'm shoving it down my throat with my <laughs> coffee. Because coffee without a bun's no good in my mm. book. You're right. But the most important thing I think that I'm consistent about is on those alternating days during the week, three days a week I work out. And what I've learned is I leave my sneakers by my bed because I really want to call them sick, honestly. And Margaret who works out with me comes to my door or I wouldn't work out, I admit my failure. But I just look at those sneakers and I think I just got to get my feet in them. I just got to get my feet instead of just going upstairs barefoot. You see? So once I have my feet are in that sneakers, it's like I'm committed somehow. I've never taken them out and called Margaret and said I'm sick.
1: Where can everyone find you, follow you, support what you're doing, watch
2: you, all the things? It, anywhere. You just find me on social media. I'm out there, Barbara Corcoran. And your book oh my book that's an old book it still sounds like a gorilla i'm gonna buy it literally right now i
1: michael set mentioned you have a book i'm gonna get it on my kindle okay
2: what is your book called it's called if you don't have big breasts put ribbons on your pigtails but then i republished it as shark tails and you should probably get that one most updated
1: if you don't have big breasts put ribbons on your pigtails isn't it true that's true. Yeah. You don't have that problem, I see. I don't have that problem. She I sure do. doesn't. Minor <laughs> minor uh, real. There's a happy husband. A real expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I bet not. <laughs> thank you, Barbara. Uh, Barbara, thank pleasure. you for coming on. Since I was just on vacation, we are giving away driving gloves. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part of this episode on our YouTube channel. We are now doing episodes on YouTube. Just comment below your favorite part and we will send one of you driving gloves from the Skinny Confidential. I wore them my entire vacation. I'm obsessed because they keep the hands and arms looking youthful. You know who feeds the dogs every single morning?
0: Me, Lauren. Me. And you just try to remind me, like, hey, do you remember which one the wet food is? And I said, of course I do, because I'm the one that feeds the dogs every single morning. I'm like a sous chef in there.
1: But you know who picked the food, Michael? Me. And I picked the farmer's dog. And the reason I picked it is because it's real food, okay? I want to give my dog the best food possible. And this one, the one we like, has whole meat and veggies. And it's gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value.
0: What I love about this is you give them some assortment. You give them better food. It's natural. It's stuff that you could feed yourself. And why would you not want to do that for the thing you love most, your pet?
1: And what's cute is they personalize it for you. So you get this delivery. And it says their name on it, which is really cute. All the recipes are vet developed for as little as $2 a day too. So it's cost efficient. And then they have pre-portioned meals. So they arrive ready to serve and it's conveniently delivered to your door on your schedule. Convenient and fresh, which we love. Dog people across the country have ordered millions of meals from the farmer's dog. It's never been easier to invest in your dog's health fresh food. Of course, we have a code for you and it's an incredible code. You get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com skinny. Plus you get free shipping. Just go to thefarmersdog.com slash skinny to get 50% off. That's thefarmersdog.com skinny. Go to thefarmersdog.com skinny to get 50% off your first box plus free shipping.